Welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 2. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. I am Lisa M. Lilly, author of the Awakening Supernatural Thriller series and the QC Davis Mysteries and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. Today we are talking about Season 2, Episode 11, Ted. It's a seemingly throwaway one-off episode that foreshadows key developments for much of the run of Buffy. It also defines the limits on Buffy's actions regarding humans, uses a lot of metaphors that might or might not mix very well, and has some wonderful Buffy and Angel dialogue that shows what works in their relationship. Also, having been so familiar with guest star John Ritter as a comedy actor, it was really interesting to me seeing him in this ominous role. As always, there will be no spoilers except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Ted was written by David Greenwalt and Joss Whedon and directed by Bruce Seth Green. I am so excited to talk to you about it. It generally isn't one that uh, I feel like fans particularly love, but as I rewatched, I was struck by how much was great in this episode. So we start with, in a way, some non-conflict. Usually we're starting with conflict, and there is a bit of mild conflict here in a joking way because Buffy, Willow, and Xander are walking down the sidewalk at night and arguing about who had the real power, the captain or Tennille. For those of you who don't remember, that was a singing duo Buffy has no idea who they are, but she is enjoying the quiet in Sunnydale. And as the characters talk, we get a little quick background that Spike and Drusilla are presumably dead, and the Order of Taraka has been called off. Essentially, we're told that, hey, y'all's right in Sunnydale, at least temporarily. But then we do very quickly get conflict At Buffy's house, the front door is ajar. She tells Willow and Xander to wait, goes in alone, hears a crash from the kitchen, and Joyce saying no. Buffy runs into the kitchen, and Joyce is kissing a man Buffy has never met. This is John Ritter. We'll find out his name is Ted. Uh, The two break apart, and Joyce says, oh, you know, she's sorry uh, for scaring Buffy. She just broke a wine glass. I am not sure that timing works given how uh, fast Buffy could get into the kitchen, but I'll go with it. Ted is very cheery and he says, hi, and we're two minutes in and Buffy says, hi, and she is so suspicious. I love her expression. She's kind of looking at him sideways and we cut to the credits. At 2 minutes 58 seconds, Ted is putting something in the oven. Willow and Xander are helping. That's a little bit in the background, and Buffy and Joyce are talking. And Joyce says that isn't the way she wanted to introduce Buffy. She met Ted at the gallery. He came in to sell her software, and she's been seeing him. 
and looking for the right moment to introduce Ted and Buffy. In the background, Willow squeals in delight when Ted says he'll give her a software upgrade for free, and Xander raves about the mini pizzas that Ted has made, and Buffy uh, says no thanks to the mini pizzas. Joyce says, Buffy, I really want you to be okay with this. At 4 minutes 37 seconds in, Ted intervenes and says, beg to differ, we really want you to be okay with this. Buffy says she's okay, but clearly she's not. And this I see as our story spark. Usually that spark or inciting incident comes about 10% into a story. And I think I, I've been saying um, that the episodes are 42 minutes. They they often are closer to 44. It's like 42 to 44 minutes. And this one is right about 44 minutes. So this is right about 10% in her initial reaction to him and his inserting himself and use of we want you to be okay. Buffy has just met this guy and already he is talking about himself and Joyce as a couple and almost as a parenting unit and I feel like that does set off uh, the conflict between him and Buffy and the particular way that it plays out and we get this confirmed pretty much in the next scene Buffy is with Giles in the park he's sitting on a bench while Buffy fights a vampire she is beating it up pretty badly and Giles keeps trying to say Buffy I, th- I think it's time like you can stake him now and she just keeps beating on him and finally kills him Giles has already sat down and I think just started reading a book so he asks her is everything okay and she says yes but she goes on this wonderful rant about vampires and says you know everything's fine and then they come and kill people and here's a quote she says and they take over your house and they start making these stupid little mini pizzas and every Everyone's like, oh, look, a mini pizza. But Giles cuts her off and says, I believe the subtext here is rapidly becoming text. That may be uh, yet another of my favorite all-time Giles quotes. Buffy, though, still doesn't tell him what's wrong. At school, Xander argues with Buffy, and he's saying Ted's a master chef and everything about him is great, and he teases Buffy about having parental issues. She insists it's more than that. And she is going on about him when he appears behind her. He's at the school updating the guidance software. He invites the three friends to play mini golf on Saturday with him and Joyce. Buffy says they can't. They have this thing to do. And Willow backs her up saying, oh, right, that thing. But Xander says they can do that thing anytime. They're in. We switch to Giles. He has gone to Jenny's classroom with a flimsy excuse about some textbooks and really to ask again how she is. You get the sense he's been doing this a lot. She says she's doing better, but she's still not sleeping well. And she knows he means well by asking. And he says, you need time. And she says, or possibly space. And she says to him, you make me feel bad that I don't feel better. I don't want that responsibility. I really empathize with both of them here. I feel bad for Giles. He so much wants to make up to her what happened where due to his actions, she became possessed with this demon. 
At the same time, I really feel for Jenny. I think this is a, a very common thing when someone is grieving and she is, uh, in a sense, grieving over what happened to her and trying to deal with this. And I remember after uh, my parents were killed in a very tragic way and it was an extremely difficult time. And on the one hand, people were wonderful. I was so struck by how caring and kind the people around me were and um, the village authorities where my my parents had lived. At the same time, as time passed, I, I really felt this pressure that people needed me to feel better so that they didn't feel bad. And one of my nieces and I talked about this a few times, that feeling that there's not much room in our culture for grief and for that you are just when something really traumatic happens uh, that maybe it's not even healthy to just try to rush past it and feel uh, all happy again or be yourself again maybe the self you have is going to be different you are not going to go back to being that same person and it often makes the people around us uncomfortable and I feel like that's what Jenny is saying like look I don't feel better yet and it's not my responsibility to feel better so that you can stop feeling bad so this is, uh, to get on a less personal note, this is a great example of two characters. We really see both their points of view, and there isn't at that moment a real way for them to come together. And you can see that after Giles leaves, Jenny feels bad about kind of pushing him away. We now switch to Angel and Buffy, so another relationship. And I really love this scene between the two of them because we... We finally see them interacting. I, I think we got a little of this in the end of Halloween. We see them really having a good relationship where Angel, Buffy is able to share her feelings. Angel is able to be supportive and also help her get a different perspective. So she's going on and on about Ted and how, you know, her mother says this about Ted and that about Ted and does every conversation have to be about Ted? And Angel, in kind of a low-key, joking way, says, so are we going to talk about anything other than Ted? Buffy says, oh, you know, okay, I get it. And she kind of smiles and says she doesn't need another man in her life and or a new man in her life. And Angel says, well, maybe your mom does. And he talks about loneliness and Buffy half smiles and says, okay, you know, I get it. But does it have to be Ted? Angel asks her, is there someone else, a guy out there that she thinks would be better? And she kind of sheepishly says, my dad. Angel just looks at her and listens and she says, I know that's not going to happen. And you see this nice release where... Buffy is a little more able to um, live with the idea that, yeah, her dad's not coming back, and maybe her mom does want to have someone else in her life. And I love that Angel was both sympathetic and helped her sort through her feelings, but he didn't ever say to her, you're having parental issues the way that Xander did. At about 11 minutes in, everyone is at mini golf. Ted says something about Buffy's grades being low, and Buffy's upset that her mom told him about it. And Joyce says it's because Ted cares. He wants to know all about Buffy. Buffy swings too hard at the golf ball, and it flies off the course. Joyce says, oh, we won't count it. It's just mini golf. But Ted says the rules are the rules, and what we teach her is what she takes out in the world, which if I were Buffy, that would get me pretty mad too. 
She's irked, but she says, fine, she'll go hit it from the rough. And she walks around the back. No one can see from that side of the hole. And she um, picks up the ball and just kind of taps it in and says, I got a hole in two. She didn't see Ted, who has come around behind her, and he says, beg to differ. Buffy shrugs and says, fine, just add it on my score or penalty. It's just a game. And he says, I'm not wired that way, and goes on and on about the rules and doing things right. And he's slapping his golf club, his mini golf club, against his leg as he's talking, punctuating his words. And he says, I don't stand for that malarkey in my house. Here, I think we get to the one-quarter twist, that first major plot turn that spins the story in a new direction and comes from outside the protagonist. It's a little bit beyond the one-quarter point timing-wise in the episode. It's about 13 minutes, 20 seconds in, but it definitely spins the story. Buffy says, well, it's a good thing they're not in his house. And Ted says, do you want me to slap that smart-ass mouth of yours? And then he spins around and says, who's up for dessert? That, that quick flip from menace to cheerfulness, I think John Ritter does so very well. And it's unnerving. And we know he was serious. And Buffy knows he was serious. So this is a turn because it's the first time we see that it's not just Buffy having parental issues. It's not just the the sort of less than ideal way that she met Ted. The others crowd around him in his picnic basket exclaiming over his cookies and Buffy stands apart. In the kitchen the next morning, Joyce offers Buffy a sticky bun that Ted made. And Buffy says, can they have something that Ted didn't make? Joyce says, I don't expect you to love him like I do. But she does expect Buffy to treat him decently. And Buffy says, you love him? Joyce says that just slipped out. And then goes on to say, men don't exactly beat down the door of a single parent. Which I found kind of interesting because she seems so excited about Ted. And yet in the next breath, it's almost like she's saying, well, I don't have a lot of choices. So he's sort of the best out there out of that lack of choices. Buffy echoes that single parent line, finishes it with joy. So we know this is something she says a lot. And this whole scene, I have talked about the great things I love about Joyce. So these are the scenes where I understand when people feel Joyce uh, fails as a parent because I understand her saying that, you know, men aren't running to go out with a single woman with a teenage daughter. If she wants to say that to her friends, that's one thing. But to say it to your daughter is really saying, hey, it's your fault. It's all it's all because of you. And then uh, Buffy, it, it gets worse because Buffy tells Joyce that Ted threatened to slap her. And Joyce says he did no such thing. She doesn't even consider what Buffy says. And though we find out there are reasons for that, it's still really hard to watch. Joyce then goes on to say, um, well, Ted told me what happened. He caught you cheating, didn't he? And she says, but he didn't say anything to anyone else, did he? And I thought that was pretty decent of him. Buffy kind of stutters. And when 
you know, she says that about, oh, he didn't tell anyone else. Buffy's saying, well, I, I don't think that's the point, which of course it's not. The fact that he didn't tell the others doesn't erase him threatening to slap her. But this shows Ted is this master of manipulation. He knew Buffy would tell Joyce, so he got out ahead of it and he told this story and framed it in a way to set Joyce up not to believe Buffy, which is no excuse for Joyce. Um, had there not been other forces at work here, the way she just rejects what Buffy says is is really awful. But Joyce is surprisingly cheery, and she says, well, Ted told her Buffy just needs time to come around, and she's having him over for dinner that night, so Buffy needs to be home on time. Buffy, looking really discouraged, leaves. Joyce finishes the sticky bun, uh, saying to herself, mmm, this is so delicious. These hints about food are woven in, and I feel like it's fairly subtle. I do not think that I saw this the first time through. The, you know, the excitement that Willow is squealing about in delight, and it's after they ate the mini pizzas. And then at the golf course, they're all so excited about the cookies. And here, Joyce, even if she didn't believe Buffy, I mean, which obviously she didn't, but let's say this was a real situation there's no other influence. She doesn't believe Buffy. She would have to be troubled about this conversation. And yet she's just like, mmm, great sticky buns. So I do think that is there, but not overplayed. So I, I felt that was fairly subtle. It does go to one of the metaphors I see here, which is the idea of being in love as this feeling of ecstasy that colors everything you say and do. Because we'll find out later that these things Ted is making have something in them that both kind of tranquilizes people and, as Willow says, has something in common with the drug ecstasy. So it seems in part this metaphor is meant to be like Joyce just in love swept up in this wave of passion and so she doesn't even hear what Buffy says uh, which makes me more troubled about Joyce because is this suggesting that this is how Joyce would be if she were truly um, deeply swept away and attracted to and, and feeling in love with this guy. Back at school, Buffy enlists Willow's help to research Ted. And I love Willow. She is such a great friend because her dialogue and her expression tells us that she, she sort of agrees with Xander. She thinks that maybe Buffy is having issues uh, just because Ted's dating her mom. And I, I can't remember. I don't know if it's clear that she tells them that he threatened her. Um, but regardless, Willow may think that it is just uh, issues Buffy's having, but she is right there to help. She is going to help her friend. She is just the best friend. So 17 minutes in, Willow has found out where Ted works, and Buffy is in this cubicle farm. Ted is on the phone selling software. He has his back to her. She's kind of hiding, and he is just right on the phone. He's not overly pushy. He points out the benefits. He turns the weaknesses, how expensive it is into a strength he makes another sale marks it on the board and goes to lunch another guy comes up and Buffy pretends to be a temp there for the day 
And the guy is grumbling about Ted always being top salesperson and says nobody beats the machine. Uh, says something about, well, at least Ted is taking some time off for the wedding, which he tells Buffy is in two months. Buffy checks out Ted's desk, sees a photo of Joyce there. When she takes it out of the frame, it is a photo of her and Joyce, but her photo has been folded in the back so it's hidden. At 19 minutes in, we're at dinner. Ted says a very passive-aggressive grace about uh, how hopefully God will help the people in this house to something like be more hardworking and more honest. Buffy won't eat. Um, So again, we get this woven throughout. Buffy isn't eating because she doesn't like Ted earlier. So she doesn't want to eat his cookies and mini pizzas. Uh, And here, because she's upset. So she's just sitting there and she says, "Um, are you engaged? And she always says no right away. Like, not like she would never consider it, but just like, no, you know, where would you get that idea? But Ted says he hopes someday soon if things go well. And how would Buffy feel about that? And he encourages her to share her feelings. And Buffy says, I'd feel like killing myself. And more really bad Joyce because rather than listening to these feelings or being concerned that her daughter said this, she gets mad at Buffy and sees it as Buffy just trying to make trouble. Ted says, no, we asked her to share her feelings. Uh, But when Buffy asks to be excused, Joyce tells her she can be excused and go to her room. After she's gone, Ted says he didn't get to be top salesman by giving up. We next see Buffy in the park in the dark. She's swinging on the swings with her stake, saying, here, vampires, but there aren't any. She comes home, climbing in through her window. Now we get to the midpoint of the episode. We're about 21 minutes, 37 seconds in. This is slightly before the midpoint. But we have two things here that happen that spread across that the few minutes in the middle of the episode. First, we get a major reversal, which is one thing we see see in a well-structured story this major reversal for the protagonist and after that we get a commitment which is the other thing that drives a strong story forward and here um, as in some stories we we get both and in this one it's really interesting because that commitment also triggers another reversal so instead of talking abstract let me go into it when Buffy gets into her room Ted is waiting for her and he has read her diary and she says how dare you but he says well how different is it than snooping in his workplace He asks her what exactly is a vampire slayer. She tells him to get out and he says, or what, you'll slay me? And he goes on to say psychiatrists have a word for what she is, delusional. And from now on, he'll do what she'll do what he says, because otherwise he'll tell Joyce and show Joyce the diary. And Buffy will spend her best dating years in a mental institution. This is a little bit of another metaphor here. This idea that young women get put into psych wards or mental institutions at times because they are not complying with what society expects of them. Buffy tries to stop Ted from leaving her room and taking the diary and he punches her really hard knocking her down she recovers and says I was so hoping you'd do that and punches back I see this as Buffy's midpoint commitment this is where the protagonist commits to the quest and goes all in because she does they fight 
Um, the momentum takes him in the hall. He again hits her hard enough that she is on the floor. And he then grabs her and lifts her up to hit her again. Of course, Joyce comes out just as, as Buffy has managed to hit Ted back and get the upper hand. And she then kicks Ted. And he's um, the momentum is pushing him down the hall. And he's moving toward the stairs. Joyce is yelling at Buffy to stop. She kicks one last time. This is 23 minutes in. And Ted goes tumbling down the stairs and is motionless at the bottom. Joyce runs down, checks his pulse, and says, you killed him. So we see Buffy's commitment then leads to an even more major reversal because no matter how awful Ted was, to kill him is this huge thing. And also that her mom did not see what began that fight. So it's completely out of context for Joyce. Cut to the commercial. Talk about a hook. When we come back, the police are there taking Ted away, and Detective Stein asks what happened. And Joyce says Ted fell, and uh, the detective asks how, and Buffy says, I hit him. I hit him. And she sounds really dazed. I like that Buffy, I like both that Joyce was not going to say that. So at least now she is trying to protect her daughter and that Buffy tells the truth. She's not going to sit there and have her mom lie. At the station, the detective interviews Buffy alone. We can tell she's somewhat disoriented. He's asking questions. It's it's a wonderful scene. If you haven't watched the episode lately, I would at least go back and watch that. Because the detective's being kind of low-key in his questions, but he's trying to get the story. And the way he does it, Buffy ends up a little more confused about when Ted threatened her. And she says he hit her. And the detective says, where? And she shows him her face. And he says something like, well, it couldn't have been too hard. There's no mark. And he doesn't seem accusatory. It's, it's more like a comment And Buffy says, uh, I don't bruise easily. So he asks, oh, you've been hit before? And she says, yes. And he says, but not by Ted. And she says, no. And she starts getting upset and is saying, you know, she didn't mean to do it. And she, I think she starts to cry. And the detective says, you know, he's a a big guy. Like, I believe you. And then outside the office, he tells Joyce uh, basically the same thing that, you know, Buffy says that, that Ted hit her, if that's true. Everything will be okay, but he says we're not bringing any charges right now. So there's just enough. He's not threatening, but there's just enough to leave both Joyce and Buffy uneasy and to have this hanging over Buffy because the detective does say they need to look into it further. At school the next day, Buffy is in baggy overalls, a big contrast to normally how we see her in school in clothes that were very fashionable at the time and cute and that made her look great. And she's in these overalls, not that Sarah Michelle Geller ever looks bad, but it is not at all her style. And she's kind of slouching. And she says she had to come to school. Her mom won't look at her. And Xander asks, what was he? What kind of monster? Assuming that Buffy must have killed him because he was a monster. And Buffy says, no, he was human. Willow says she's sure it wasn't Buffy's fault. Ted started it. And Buffy says that defense only works in six-year-old court, Will. And they're both shocked about the mention of court. And Buffy also says she's the slayer. She had no right to hit Ted like that. 
I feel like in some ways she is, her feelings of guilt are clouding her memory of what happened because Ted hit her really hard twice, enough to knock her down. So she was defending herself and yet at the same time she's not wrong in the sense of she did say, I was hoping you'd do that. She wanted a reason to fight Ted. And she's saying, look, I knew I had this super strength. I was not right to do that. So I think she's drawing a line between she could defend herself, but she did go beyond what she needed, the force she needed to defend herself. Xander tries to reassure her and says he knows her. She'd never intentionally hurt anyone unless, and Buffy says, unless he was dating her mom. She's upset. She heads for the library, but there she finds out that the cops talk to Giles to ask about her behavior, and they are now talking to someone else at the school. Giles is at a loss, and Buffy leaves. Xander, Willow, and Cordelia gather in the library with Giles. Xander is saying how awful Ted must have been for Buffy to kill him. Cordelia says, I thought you liked him. Xander says, I sometimes like things that are not good for me, looking right at her. Willow is researching. She's frustrated and finding nothing. And Cordelia says it's not fair. Buffy's like a Superman or something. Shouldn't there be different rules for her? And we get these two great quotes. Willow says, sure, in a fascist society. And Cordelia says, right, why can't we have one of those? I love that Cordelia is sticking up for Buffy, even if she might not quite grasp the philosophical or ethical implications of that. Um, And more on that in the spoilers. Giles says that Buffy killed a human and the guilt will be overwhelming for her. And we get another great Cordelia quote and Giles responds. Cordelia, I guess you should know since you helped raise that demon that killed that guy that time. And Giles says, yes, let's do bring that up as often as possible. Giles is putting together weapons. He says he'll patrol that night as there's no slayer until Buffy is herself again. Willow is still frustrated, trying to find answers. Xander, who is eating a cookie he found, I think in Willow's backpack, says, don't worry, it'll all be fine. They'll work it out. Suddenly tearful. This seems a bit like our three-quarter turn. We are 30 minutes in and Willow grabs that cookie and we can see by her expression that she knows there is something wrong with it. So it's the first time our friends find a solid clue that there is really something wrong with Ted. And Willow puts together um, in her mind all this good cheer and the food. I also thought it was the three-quarter turn because, as it should, it spins the story in a new direction. Now our friends are um, have a focus, the food, to focus on. They have a solid clue, and they are going to go forward and help Buffy. Also, it does come out of the reversal that put Buffy and Ted directly in opposition. And Buffy's commitment and killing Ted is what means our friends have to find answers. Yes, before, sure, the Willow in particular wanted to help Buffy because Buffy was upset, but they didn't have that driving reason that now that Buffy might be faced with um, court trial and charges and murder charges, they are driven. So these things all made it look like that major plot turn that comes out of that midpoint and turns the story yet again. At home, Joyce is cleaning out a cabinet. Buffy tries to say she didn't mean it and apologize, but Joyce says she can't talk now and more or less tells Buffy to go to her room. 
In the graveyard, Giles is patrolling, and Jenny startles him. She saw his car, and she wanted to apologize to him. He's very uneasy and wants to stop her, and she says, let her talk. She feels bad about how they left it, and she knows how bad he feels about putting her in danger before. And Giles says, imagine how I must feel now, because a vampire is behind them. Back to Buffy. We're about 33 minutes in. She's in her room. She seems restless and sad. She goes to the window to climb out and it's nailed shut. She's talking to herself under her breath. She thinks her mom nailed it shut and she says, This day can't get any worse. From behind her, Ted begged to differ. This, I think, is the real three-quarter turn, and it's a bit of a surprise, which I think is nice that we thought we had a turn, and now there is the real plot turn that truly shifts the story because Ted is back, and there's something about him clearly not human. So previously we thought, okay, he's, he's drugging everyone. There's probably something else going on, but now he is something else. And he asks Buffy, you know, isn't she sorry about killing him? And she says, what are you? And he says, he's a salesman. No matter how you put him down, a good salesman bounces back. Part of me wonders if this continued salesman theme is part of what doesn't quite uh, doesn't quite come together in this episode. At first, I was thinking it doesn't work at all because we've got here so far a real, not just that metaphor for the in love aspect, but the abusive relationship. The way Ted is charming on the surface and everybody loves him. And then behind the scenes, he's threatening Buffy. He's punching Buffy. Her mom isn't listening. Um, he will find out he is controlling. There are a lot of abuse metaphors here. But then we get this, I'm a salesman. And it, it seems weirdly comic. And uh, I was thinking it didn't really fit. And then later on, we'll see that Maybe it does fit, but I feel like maybe we just have uh, one too many metaphors here or maybe more than one too many. So I'll get to that. Uh, Anyway, he says this thing about being a salesman. We switch back to Giles and Jenny. The vampire attacks. Jenny is struggling with the crossbow. And she keeps trying to get a shot, and Giles is telling her to shoot. Uh, But I don't think she's used one before. And even if you had, Giles and the vamp are a moving target. So she finally takes a shot. And of course, right at that moment, they have spun around. So Giles' back is to her, and the arrow goes into his back. Giles, though, is so cool. He yanks out the arrow, and he stakes the vamp with it. So we get a little bit of comic relief there, a little bit of movement in our ongoing season Jenny and Giles subplot. Back with Buffy and Ted, they're fighting. He says he had to shut down for a while to get her off his back. He chokes Buffy. Buffy grabs this little nail file and stabs him. Sparks fly. There's flashes. And we see his skin has come up and there are wires and machinery under it. Unclear if if Buffy quite gets that because he kicks her and knocks her out. Xander, Willow, and Cordelia break into Ted's home. They went the old school way and got records, I think paper records from um, somewhere in the village. Those include four marriage certificates, one from over 50 years ago. They don't see anything in the house at first until Cordelia spots a rug that so doesn't fit the decor. There is a trapdoor underneath it. 
Joyce is in her kitchen. She hears something and thinks it's Buffy and starts to apologize for not talking to Buffy earlier. But it's Ted. And Joyce is shocked. Ted claims that um, he was dead for six seconds and then unconscious for a day, that uh, the medical people told him it was a miracle. She hugs him and says, oh, my God, Buffy. And he tells her not to worry. I'm happy to see that Joyce, while she's glad Ted is back, her first thought really is, oh, we have to tell Buffy because Buffy is feeling so horrible about this. At the lower level at Ted's, they have gone down through this trap door. It's 50s decor. There's an old record player. There's bars on the window. Xander opens a closet. We don't see what's inside, but he says, let's go. And the others are saying, but we need evidence. He's like, nope, we got it. His first four wives are in there. It builds more danger for Joyce. We already know that Ted is dangerous, particularly to Buffy, but it's unclear. Perhaps he is not meaning to harm Joyce. It's still a problem, obviously, that he's homicidal towards Buffy, but as an audience, we feel pretty confident Buffy will recover and can take care of herself, but now he's a more direct threat to Joyce. Ted tells Joyce what brought him back was her, the thought of her. And she says she should talk to Buffy first. And I have a note, yay, Joyce, maybe it was the cookies after all. Um, And Ted says something like, do we have to talk about Buffy? What about Teddy? I'm the one who died. And Joyce says, sorry, I don't know what to do. Ted says, don't I always tell you what to do? Um, And this is also where I... I think this abuse metaphor just starts getting so direct and so right on the mark that it loses some power. Joyce is looking troubled already and then uh, Ted turns his head to the side and says something about gravy. Um, And I think I forgot to mention when he was fighting Buffy, he did that too. When, When she stabbed him, he started saying all these random different things and his head would go to the side when he did it. Joyce tells him he needs to rest for a while and he says this is where it really gets obvious for the metaphor I think you might want to stop telling me what to do I don't take orders from women I'm not wired that way it's such an obvious statement I think I might have liked the story as a whole better if it were a little bit more subtle here is where I started to think though that maybe the salesman metaphor in a way should have worked because throughout Ted is saying You know, I didn't get to be salesman of the year by giving up. I don't take no for an answer is his mantra as a salesman. So I can see a little more how that fits because uh, that fits with this idea of the abuser. I don't take no for an answer. I tell you what to do. And maybe it would have worked better if they stuck with the salesman thing and didn't have him so obviously saying things like, I don't take orders from women. Back to Jenny and Giles. He is claiming he's okay. Uh, She says that she'll get him to a hospital and then laughs and says something like, some night, you really know how to woo a girl back. Giles laughs and then says, ow, and Jenny says, hospital. So nice, nice little comic relief there. We are, though, in our main plot, building towards the climax. Buffy wakes up in her room. We're 40 minutes, 25 seconds in. Downstairs, Joyce is trying different ways to distance herself from Ted. She says she wants a drink. He says they need to hit the road. Um, Does a little turning his head to the side, saying weird things again. 
And Joyce says, okay, she better pack and tries to go around him. And he grabs her arm and says, he already has her clothes. They're your size. They're always your size. And he says she left him before, but he kept bringing her back. Now we are at the climax. Joyce tries to pull away. He shoved her into a wall and she's knocked out. Ted thinks he hears Buffy and he walks around downstairs calling to her to come out. He doesn't stand for malarkey in his house. Buffy surprises him. She underhands him hard with a giant frying pan and says, this house is mine. The frying pan's a really interesting choice. On the one hand, it's kind of cartoony. But on the other, I feel like it fits with that abuse issue and it is Buffy taking something in the house and using it to fight back as she says, this house is mine. Ted goes down, more of his skin has come off, um, this time on his face. So we see half of the human face and half like robot, which makes it pretty scary. Buffy strikes again and this time he's really out and she looks very sad. We move to the falling action. Joyce and Buffy are sitting on the front porch uh, eating chips. And Joyce says, do you want to rent a movie tonight? But not horror, romance, or men. And Buffy says uh, she guesses we're Thelma and Louising it again. If you don't remember, Thelma and Louise was a movie out around maybe a few years before Buffy started. And it's two women who are taking a road trip and it turns into a flight from the law after Louise kills a man who tried to rape Thelma outside a bar. Uh, I have my own memory of this. I took a class my last semester of law school. It was called Law and Popular Culture. So it was meant to be kind of an, an easy class for that last semester. It was really interesting. We explored a lot of great issues. We would watch a movie, uh, something to do with the lawyers about the law, and then really discuss mainly the ethical issues in it, how true it was to law practice and lawyers, which was usually not, and what that meant for our culture's perception of lawyers and um, how they behave and what they do, we were supposed to watch Thelma and Louise. It was the only movie the professor had found that dealt with women and the law. That he, he couldn't find any with women lawyers, and there must have been some. And for some reason, we it got dropped out because something happened that the semester got compressed. And I still remember that and feel like it it really does show what popular culture was at the time that Buffy was airing. Joyce uh, says she still thinks that Ted will jump out at her, especially after what the police found in his house. And that's the first time I realized that apparently Buffy didn't tell Joyce that Ted was a robot and didn't tell the police. And Buffy says, trust me, he's on the scrap heap. And Joyce looks at her and she says, of life. I'm not that clear why, you know, why couldn't the police know that Ted was a robot unless our friends were concerned that maybe rightly that the authorities in Sunnydale would use Ted in a bad way. At school, Willow says the sad thing is the real Ted must have been a genius. Buffy says to her, tell me you didn't keep any parts. And Willow says, not any big ones. And Buffy tells her she's supposed to use her powers for good. And Willow says, I just want to learn stuff. And Cordelia has another nice line, like how to build your own serial killer. Xander says, let's just drop the whole topic. And Buffy is happy to forget all about it, except that when they get to the library, she looks in through the little round windows in the doors and says, that's it. I give up. 
Do I have to sound an air horn every time I walk into a room? What is it with grown-ups today? And we see that Jenny and Giles are kissing. And that is one of the things I enjoyed in this episode was this very gradual bringing Jenny and Giles back together. So there's no DVD commentary for this episode. Instead, I went and looked at my favorite book discussing Buffy. It's Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Philosophy, Fear and Trembling in Sunnydale, edited by James B. South. I'll put a link in the show notes in case you want to check it out. There's a number of great essays in there. This is from Morality on Television, The Case of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This essay is by Richard Green and Wayne Yoon. And the authors talk about Ted and how Buffy killed him believing he was human because he posed a direct threat to her mother and herself. And they explore a bit the philosophical implications of that. First, though, I think that is part of the issue for Buffy. As I mentioned, I feel like later she reframes it in her mind and thinks that she killed Ted solely because she couldn't deal with him in her mother's life. But when you look at those scenes, he was definitely a threat to her. And we see it later. He knocks her out completely. She didn't know he was capable of doing that, but she certainly knew he hit her hard enough to knock her down on the floor. But her guilt is so overwhelming that I think it clouds her judgment. I also believe that on some level, she did know that he was something other than human, but maybe not. And the authors go on to say that uh, Ted poses a threat that's equal in severity to the threat that vampires pose. And yet Buffy's despondent when she thinks that she killed him because he was human. So later she's relieved to discover that Ted is not human but an android or a robot. So they say humans therefore have a special status in Buffy's moral system. This special status makes them exempt from being seriously harmed by her even if they do harm to others. And we will see that play out throughout the series. The other essay here that talks about Ted briefly is High School is Hell, Metaphor Made Literal in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And that's by Tracy Little. Little comments that season two includes a constant theme, you are not the person I thought you were. I hadn't thought about this, but that's a really good point. And we have already seen it in Inca Mummy Girl. Um, Impata is not at all who Xander thinks or anyone thinks. In Reptile Boy, the frat boys are not who Cordelia thinks they are or Buffy thinks they are. In Lie to Me, Buffy's old friend Ford is not who she thought. And here, Ted, clearly not who either Joyce or, um, well, I guess Buffy obviously has her suspicions from the start, but he's definitely not who Joyce thinks. And we even saw Giles in the Dark Age Buffy doesn't recognize Giles in a way and when he's saying he's sorry she's saying don't be sorry be Giles so really interesting that Ted is part of this theme for the season and I'll talk a little more in spoilers about that in the end the thematic elements are what I love about Ted. I love this beginning exploration of what does it mean if Buffy kills a human, even sort of accidentally. I do not believe she ever meant to kill Ted when she thought he was human, but she did let herself use that strength. So what does that mean? If you are not staying for the spoilers, I hope you will come back next week for Bad Eggs. 
And we are back with spoilers. Quickly from our essays, uh, the High School is Hell essay by Tracy Little, you are not the person I thought you were. That theme is the theme of the entire story arc, the major story arc for this season when Angel turns evil again. It is all about that. And then it is further echoed by Giles and Buffy finding out that Jenny was sent there to keep an eye on or track Angel. And I even see it in First Spike's uh, sense of betrayal and anger at Drew when she is so um, enamored of Angel and Angel is in a way taking Drusilla away from Spike and then Drusilla's sense of betrayal when Spike allies himself with Buffy in order to defeat Angel so we have this on so many levels and then there is more in the essay on morality in television where the authors comment on the ethics of killing a human. And I had been thinking this while watching Ted, where we really see that addressed is in the Faith storyline. When Faith accidentally kills a human and Buffy is trying to get Faith to fess up and deal with it. And instead, Faith goes down this very dark path. And there we really dig into what that means, what it means when a slayer kills a human being. Giles tells us that it does happen that there are procedures for dealing with it. But by that time, his his faith in the council has been shattered, as has Buffy's. So they're not willing to go to the council, and faith is completely in denial. We see it again when Buffy again thinks she has killed a human in season six and is ready to go to jail for it. And very complex uh, situation there, how Buffy is already in a very very dark time and her feelings over thinking that she killed someone take her to an even worse place and her friends and particularly her sister do not understand why she would turn herself in actually I don't think her friends ever find out but her sister another big spoiler there that she'll have a sister um, feels so abandoned and feels that Buffy is turning herself in just to get away but even very early on in the show we have seen seen how seriously Buffy takes this. And the authors of Morality on Television also talk about another part of season six where the human's special status to Buffy is explained more, the reasoning for it. Because when they are talking about a revenge killing, Willow killing Warren because of him having committed murder, and Buffy says, Willow doesn't have the right to do that. And Xander and I believe Dawn are saying he was horrible and he deserved it and how is it different from demons? But Buffy says human to human evils that there is a human justice system to deal with that and that isn't for her. She is not there to be the one who punishes people. She will stop them, but she's not going to kill them, unlike with demons and vampires, which is going to be so interesting to talk about at the time, why those distinctions are there. But I do like her point that there is a system to deal with that. It might not be perfect, but there is this process where for demons and vampires, there is not. She is it. 
So other spoilers, there are so many here. Ted reading Buffy's diary and threatening her with a mental institution foreshadows normal again where Buffy comes to believe that she is in an institution, that her parents sent her to a psych ward when she started talking about vampires. I so would love to know, you know, did they plan that from the beginning or at least have that idea in their minds that it was coming? Or did it just evolve organically from Ted makes this threat and later they pick up on that in season six? Uh, Detective Stein will be back. That's the reason I mentioned his name. I hadn't realized we ever got his name. So it was kind of neat to see it there. Uh, I'm pretty sure he interviews Joyce in the season two finale. And he comes back in season three when Faith kills someone. He is again the detective. And we may see him more than that. I'm not sure. I'm going to be excited to look for Detective Stein spottings. I really like his low-key style. He seems so reasonable and suspicious at the same time. And it's always fun. I think when you see an actor like that be able to come back and reprise a role. So we have that sense of continuity in Sunnydale. I don't know if he is one of the only detectives or he's just the guy who gets the weird things. Willow's story arc is also foreshadowed when we have Buffy telling her use her powers for good and she says she just wants to learn and we will see as the series progresses that Willow's learning is such a strength for her and this desire for knowledge and to keep growing and yet it becomes dangerous to the people around her and out of control. If any of you watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which Joss Whedon also produces, there are a lot of themes about that there. The responsibility of people who build and create things, who are super smart and are able to invent things, but then those things are used in a dangerous way. While Willow doesn't invent things, there is that same idea of that intellect and power and knowledge and what responsibility comes with that. And of course, we have the foreshadowing of robots in the Buffyverse. I feel like there is always a mix among fans over whether we should have robots in the Buffyverse because robots are more science fiction and Buffy is more fantasy. And there is always, I think every time we get robots, there is a sense that partly they can be so real and lifelike and so much further advanced than the technology is because again, the answer is the Hellmouth. I don't mind the mix of the two. I particularly like the Buffy bot that we get in season five. And even April, the robot we see before that, that gives us entree into that world that shows us that these robots can be made. But I understand people maybe who are more purists about science fiction versus fantasy. Maybe that mix doesn't work. I do think the Buffy bot works far better than Ted. Ted is sort of this early version of, okay, what do we do with this robot character? And later with the Buffy bot, we explore so many more interesting issues of identity and uh, what, what aspects of Buffy go into that Buffy bot. Oh, and there's one more thing I have a note on uh, is these overalls. We will see Buffy in these baggy overalls again at the end of season two. And there is that sense that this is what Buffy wears when she maybe feels not herself, feels defeated, feels depressed or sad and like there is nothing she can do. We see her wearing these overalls. So sorry to end on a, a sad note, an overall sad note. Uh, no pun in, well, 
that was a really bad pun. So I'm going to say sorry for that too. Uh, Let's talk about next week. I hope you will come back next Monday. I had been going to take a mid-season break, but I feel like in the time of so many stay-at-home orders, one, I really enjoy doing this and talking about Buffy, and enough people have told me they look forward to hearing it on Mondays that I don't want to take a break now. So I may take a break later in season two. 22 episodes is a lot uh, to do one a week, but maybe not. Maybe I'll just power straight through. Anyway, I hope you come back. We'll talk about Bad Eggs, where maybe not surprisingly, another attempt by Sunnydale High to teach their students uh, something leads to disaster. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at Lisa M. Lilly. That's L-I-S-A, M as in Marie, L-I-L-L-Y, hashtag Buffy Story, or email me, lisa at lisalily.com. You can also find my fiction, including mysteries and supernatural thrillers, at lisalily.com. And you can find articles on writing, time management, and publishing at writingasasecondcareer.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you next Monday. Music for this episode was composed and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC, copyright 2020.